Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Father, we come to you and first acknowledge your grace, your mercy, your generosity, your steadfastness, and your immutability. Father, we rest in your sovereign will that your word constantly reminds us of. We worship you for your holiness. We praise you for your power, and we rely on your incredible love for us. How great you are, O God that you would speak into existence all of creation, that at the word of your mouth, the seemingly infinite expanse of the universe would appear, and it would appear just as you had in mind. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for causing us to repent and causing us to believe. Thank you that as you pulled our dry bones from the muck and the mire, you gave new life to us a new heart, sinew, muscle, and flesh. Thank you that because you first loved us, we can love you and love your statutes. Oh, Father, tonight we come humbly to the foot of your throne and beg you to change us, to sanctify us, to expose more of our sin to us and more of yourself to us. Lord, make it so that our love for you would be greater that our conviction would be stronger, and that our faith would be further strengthened. We know we can be sure of all of these things, since you are the one who has promised to accomplish them. We trust you, Lord. May your will be done tonight. We pray all of these things according to your sovereign grace. Amen. Would you guys mind turning with me to 1 Corinthians 16, 1? And if you don't have a Bible, then please feel free to utilize the Bibles provided for you in the back of each seat, or at least most of them, uh, in front of you. As you find 1 Corinthians 1, I'm going to ask that we stand for the reading of the Scripture. And I'll be reading out of the Legacy Standard Version this evening. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to set something aside, saving whatever he has prospered, so that no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem." And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us treat it as such. You may be seated. This seems a fitting text at Trinity right now. As we are right in the middle of a building campaign, as we raise funds for a new sanctuary you guys attend here Sunday mornings, I'm sure that you can agree that our current facility 
Uh, it feels a bit maxed out. Getting in and out of this place gets real Western real quick. As folks seem to anchor themselves in the walking paths and doorways for a nice post-sermon chat. Um, and if you identify yourself as one of those people, I kindly ask on behalf of everyone that you would repent of your ways and find a less obstructive spot to fellowship. If you spend any amount of time here at Trinity or any Bible school or seminary worth their salt, then you've probably heard the age-old maxim, context is king, meaning the context of the scripture you are reading is equally as important as the specific content. This gives us the who, the what, when, where, and why of a specific text and is absolutely imperative in accurate biblical interpretation. Context has fortunately ruined the logic behind many attempts at twisting scripture to support one's own ideology. And praise God for that. I want to read a quick quote from John MacArthur regarding 1 Corinthians 15 and 16. The 15th chapter is so grandiose, it's so magnificent, it's so far beyond anything we could ever dream. He's talking about, Paul, resurrection. He's talking about glorified bodies. He's talking about the voice of God calling the dead out of the graves. He's talking about great transformation. He's talking about the day when our bodies become like Jesus Christ. The day when the trumpet sounds. The day when heaven explodes upon our reality. The day when every imagination is fulfilled and far beyond. The day when we cry, O death, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? And then he says, now concerning the collection... And all of a sudden, we're, we're right back down to where we live. Now concerning the collection, chapter 16, verse 1. That's what we want to talk about. So how and why would Paul go from something so magnificent, so sumptuous, so, to something so monotonous as the offering? Well, first and foremost, this is the word of God, and as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if we believe that to be true, then Paul isn't actually going from something that God really values to something that he doesn't. He's communicating truth that shares equal value and importance. So let's keep this in mind as we work through this text. Keeping in the context, we must remember that Paul is writing to a church in a time where poverty was rampant. Not only in how widespread it was, but also in its severity. This isn't something that we 
are used to. This isn't something that we, we typically see, especially here in the U.S. If we get onto a plane and visited the Philippines, we would see uh, poverty that is likely very similar to what Paul saw. If we kept on and we visited China and North Korea or any number of the countries in Southeast Asia, plus we would be confronted with the realities of extreme poverty. Poverty was such a pervasive issue that it became very normal for groups to provide interest-free loans, for people to be uh, deeply financially invested in their community, and for members of the church to be as invested in the well-being of the impoverished members as they were themselves. Now, we might respond to this and say, but we don't see that level of destitution here. We have government programs that provide for people. Charities, nonprofits, and welfare, they, they take care of those people. And that's true. We don't see people starving for the most part. Especially here at Trinity. Mike and Craig and the other folks that cook for brother to brother could potentially keep you well-fed for a couple of days after one of uh, the meals that they make for us. But we must realize all of those things are only possible due to people giving. Now, the government is very happy to force you to give via repeated taxation on the same dollar, especially in the great communist state of California. But you understand the point. Let's look at verse 1 and then verse 3. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Who are these saints Paul is collecting for? Verse 3 answers that. I will send them with letters to carry your gracious gifts, gift to Jerusalem. The collection being made is a gift to the poor saints in Jerusalem. The entire storyline of Paul collecting this gift is, is actually very incredible. Uh, Paul references it multiple times, and we could actually spend a ton of time kind of going through it, but we, we don't have time for that this evening, perhaps another time. So our first point tonight is that giving is, that giving is a biblical command. Verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to set something aside, saving whatever he has prospered, so that no collections be made when I come. How can God command of us such a thing? Everyone's like, well, no, he's God. That's why. Which is absolutely true, and it really is a Trump all kind of mic drop end of story truth. But let's excavate it. A little bit. God can command us to give of our resources because He created all things and therefore owns all things. Psalm twenty four one says the earth is Yahweh's as well as its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Try to come back from that one. We can even get more specific. 
Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor meet together in this. Yahweh is the maker of them all. Yahweh not only created them in a physical sense, but he made them rich and he made them poor. We all have what we have from the outpouring of God's goodness on us. To say it plainly, God can command this because it is his money to begin with. But I worked for the money. It's mine. Who gave you the legs to walk? The arms, the fingers, the toes, the brain, skeletal structure, and so on to be able to function? God did. Psalm 139.13 For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. So not only does God own the universe, but he owns every single thing that resides inside of it, including us. Our second point is that we must be thoughtful in our giving. Look again at verse 2. Now, there, there are so many variables that come into play here. Your income, your family, your expenses, the needs of the church, and so on. All of this is to be taken into consideration when setting something aside. Notice how he never, at any point, disqualifies someone from giving. He never says, oh, well, if you're a college student and you work part-time, then don't worry. You're good. Or anything even remotely close to that. Everyone in this room has the ability to set something aside. It has nothing to do with ability and it has everything to do with our hearts. If we are frustrated that we need to sacrifice certain things in our lives so that we are able to give to the church, then that's a problem. It's a problem we must run right to scripture with. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says, Now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A stingy heart finds, it root, finds its root in a distrust of God's goodness and provision. Do not worry then, saying what we will eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. It's Matthew 6. Our final point this evening is that giving is a fundamental form of worship. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The old saying of put your money where your mouth is comes to mind here. Do we really believe that what God says in his word is true and good and trustworthy. 
If so, then we've no other choice but to live like that. We must pray that God would give us a thankful heart because a thankful heart, my friend, is a giving heart. When we begin to see that God is working all things for the good of his sons and daughters is when true trust and obedience follow. You see, this is why doctrine is so important. Because if you do not know who God is, or what he's done, or what he's doing, or what he will do, then you are blindly following in a very religious way. We abide by something called the regulative principle here. Regulative principle of worship. Which says, in short, that God has clearly stated how he must, keywords there, be worshipped. We don't get to create our own subjective type of worship. We cannot take swords and slash ourselves and call it worship. We cannot take up venomous snakes in our hands and call it worship. We cannot attribute power to crystals and call that worship. We cannot chant something over and over in hopes that we manifest our will. And call it worship. For God is defined clearly how he is to be worshipped. And the giving of money to his church is part of that. And this is something we must take so, so seriously. Guys, when we see scripture being so unbelievably clear on something, I'm sorry, we do not have the right to manipulate or modify that in our minds and then give it back to him as if it's something pleasing to him. If you think that you can perfect something that God has done, my friend, you are misguided. In closing, I would argue that we do not give because we do not believe as we should. Do you believe that Christ will return and make all things new? Do you believe that there will be a day when our sin-cursed bodies are relieved of that burden and we will reign with Christ forever? If you do, then, my friend, the number that currently resides in your bank account should mean so very little to you that it is almost comical. Matthew 6, 20 to 21 says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or still. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your treasure in Christ? Or, excuse me, is your treasure Christ? Or is it hoarding earthly riches? Do we not have a God who we can trust with every aspect of our lives, no matter how foolish it may seem to the world? Yes, we do. Oh, poor saint, who is barely making ends meet, you have already been given the greatest gift you could receive. God has eternally blessed you with salvation. You are sealed with Christ forever and will reign with him forever. 
Your days are numbered. There's nothing that you can do to extend them. Rejoice. For each day is a day closer to being with our older brother, Jesus. In heaven. If you do not know Christ, then, my friend, I invite you today in the quietness of your own heart to repent and believe in the gospel, and you will be saved. If you have questions or thoughts or just want to talk to someone, please feel free to approach myself or a leader tonight. We serve a mighty God who will provide everything that we need. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be anxious. We have no reason to count costs. For we have given nothing. Our investment, it's, it's the greatest investment that's ever existed. God calls us. God changes us. God uh, causes us to repent. He causes us to believe. He sanctifies us. And one day we will reign with him in glory. And you're going, hold on, what did I do? Well, to quote a famous Puritan, you provided the sin that made all of that necessary. That is what we did. You might go, huh? Yeah. But this is where, my friend, we get to rejoice so greatly, so purely. We get to lay at the foot of the throne of the king and say, I don't have anything, I can't give you anything, there's nothing. I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm broken, and yet, (laughs) he says, I know, and I'm going to wash you, I'm going to cloak you with my righteousness, and when the Father looks at you, (laughs) he'll see me, his perfect son. If that doesn't make your heart leap with joy, my friend, I don't know what will. If that doesn't move the stony heart, I don't know what will. I do know what will, actually. That's the Lord. Who will work in your heart in ways that no preacher can, that no person can. My words are imperfect. Man's words are imperfect, and yet we have the inerrant, perfect word of God. So let's rest in that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how mighty and majestic are your ways. You are faithful. You are trustworthy, and we are not. Even in our disobedience, you care and provide for us and gently draw us to yourself. We praise you because you've saved us. 
loosen our grips on this world and cause us to fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Give us thankful hearts that freely give, that give freely and joyfully knowing we are worshiping you and bringing you glory. We love you only because you loved us first. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.